All right. And we're back uh, with On Wisconsin. We have Nadia Mosefer from the Juvenile Law Center, uh, which is a national, it's a not-for-profit organization that's based out in Philadelphia, a national not-for-profit organization that has um, provided some advocacy um, to um, the uh, Dane County and uh, other places around Wisconsin. I still have her on the line here, uh, so we'll bring up that phone line again. Hi, Nadia. Hi. Hi. So um, uh, before we went on our uh, break there, uh, we were talking uh, specifically about practices at places like Copper Lake and Lincoln Hills that your organization um, advocated uh, change. Are there other places uh, of impact that your organization uh, uh, is seeking to make uh, for the state of Wisconsin? Yes. So one, um, in as we were working uh, with our lawsuit in, uh, regarding Lincoln Hills and Copper Lake, uh, one of the things that we learned is that um, there's also a big problem happening um, kind of throughout Wisconsin, but especially in Dane County, that when young people are placed in various types of facilities, whether it's um, in detention centers, which is where kids are placed before you have a hearing and you're officially adjudicated delinquent, which is essentially like being guilty um, in your juvenile case, or whether you're in a shelter care facility, which is another type of placement that you can be in um, before you are, before you have a hearing, before you're adjudicated, if you, um, you know, don't have another home to be in, it's a little bit less secure of a placement. Or, for example, if after you go through your hearing, the judge decides that you need to be placed um, in essentially what is the juvenile justice version of a prison. In many of these instances, what we learned was when young people are placed in these facilities, their parents receive a bill for the cost of their care while they're in the facilities. So, for example, if your child is in detention for 10 days, you could then get a bill that they would be, um, that you would have to pay, you know, $100 for every single day. Um, and so families were not only having to deal with their kids being taken away from home and being placed um, in these various facilities, but then they also were being asked to pay for it. And this was um, a topic of great interest to us because Juvenile Law Center is currently working on a nationwide campaign to eliminate all kinds of fees and costs from the juvenile justice system. And one of the costs that we've heard that causes the most um, financial and emotional burden for families is this cost associated with placement, or sometimes it's called cost of care or cost of custody. Anytime you have to um, you know, a child is taken away from their home and placed in another um, another institution. And so uh, based on, you know, the work that we were already doing in Wisconsin, we heard that we learned from our partners, including um, ACLU of Wisconsin um, and many, many other community members that they were, you know, parents were facing really hard um, fees, high fees when their kids were in these um, institutions. And so we did, you know, kind of we've done a lot of nationwide research on why these types of fees are problematic. Um, and so we met with many community groups in Wisconsin. We met with other advocacy organizations. And then we met with um, Carousel Baird, who is a, a member of the Dane County Board of Supervisors, and expressed, you know, our concern and our just demonstrated our research onto why these types of fees are so problematic. Um, and Carousel, we're you know, we're so grateful for her leadership, um, but um, Supervisor Baird really um, took this issue and did her own research and then introduced 
um, an amendment in the Dane County Board of Supervisors that eliminated mm -hmm. the detention fees um, from being charged to parents. So when kids are uh, waiting for trial and they're waiting for their hearings, they're, if they're in placement facilities, their parents will no longer receive um, a bill for that, which is, which is a huge win for Wisconsin mm -hmm. and for Dane County. Well, okay. So uh, I'm sure this will be a part of a continuing conversation. We hope to have um, um, you or, or some of your colleagues back on our show uh, in the future to talk about uh, other things that are uh, taking place. Final question for tonight. Uh, so I'm, l l let's frame it like this. So I'm a college student, or better yet, a high schooler, and I'm really passionate about um, uh, you know, uh, seeking uh, uh, forms of uh, justice for, for youth. I want to make sure that our youth are being treated right, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking about it while I am a young person. What types of things uh, do I do at this point in my life if I'm going into college um, uh, would help me uh, do the types of things that uh, you are uh, doing in your work with the uh, Juvenile Law Center? Sure. Well, I think that there are many, for example, as, as young people kind of think about what they want to study, there's many things that um, kind of lend itself to this work. So there's the traditional political science pre-law kind of track. Um, there's also um, immense need in working with community members and the young people themselves that are facing these types of costs and fees and many other concerns in the juvenile justice and the child welfare systems. And individuals with backgrounds in social work um, can really provide immense Support, um, not only for the young people directly, but also in making policy changes that impact these young people. Um, and then we also, uh, one thing that we are always needing in advocacy work is good, strong data that show the impacts of, um, you know, what costs and fees do to young people and their families, what happens when young people are put in uh, placement facilities where they're abused. And so anyone um, interested in sociology or criminology um, who wants to do research in these areas can be an immense support and provide a lot of really good data um, that can help move policy forward. And I think that's one piece of it that um, people don't always think about or realize how important that is. And then finally, I would just say that um, it's, you know, all of the work that we do, we very much rely on community members, community organizers, mm -hmm. um, people working with the actual affected people. Like, we want to make sure that our reforms reflect what's actually needed in the community. So any type of volunteering in the community where you can really learn about um, what the impact and see the impact of policy changes, whether mm -hmm. that's, you know, working with young kids in the school or volunteering with um, families that who are facing these economic burdens, um, all of those experiences will really help you when, you know, will help someone as they, um, you know, start thinking about the policy aspect of it as well. All right. Well, we thank you for that. And like I said, we're looking forward to hearing a little bit more about uh, the work happening there. Uh, that's uh, Nadia Mozifer with the uh, <laughs> National Not-for-Profit Organization, uh, the Juvenile Law Center. Thank you very much, Nadia. Thank you so much. All right, and as we were um, having this conversation over the phone in our studio, I, I see some heads nodding from across the table here, um, and I'm hoping uh, to a certain extent that we can continue this conversation about local systems, about community organizations, about you know uh, putting together the, the, the type of society that we'd like to see, not for us only, but also our youth. Um, and so sitting directly across from me is uh, Karen Pfeiffer, um, who is um, 
I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not messing this up. The Urban Community Arts Network president or chair. Yep, president. Oh, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. I had the wrong microphone up. Once again, the president for the Urban Area the Urban, Urban Community, Community Arts, Arts Network. Network. Yep. It's easier to say you can. Just say you can. You already said it, the whole thing, so we're good. All right. <laughs> you can um, is doing. Um, some help in in the uh, not-for-profit arena with uh, people who have that artistic um, you know part of them but then they also have that part that says hey I really want to plug into my community and I really want to help see um, see this type of thing happen or this type of thing happen so give us a little bit of an overview of I mean because it's been around for a few years but sure. uh, recently has uh, gained some attention and getting some traction yeah, Urban Community Arts Network, or UCAN, which we can call it for the rest of the time, um, started in really in 2010 with a group of about 30 members of the hip hop community in Madison. And these were rappers, producers, fans, um, dancers, people from all over the scene who gathered together and wanted to address the reasons why the scene is underrepresented in Madison's nightlife. Because Madison is known as sort of a um, a place where there's a lot of room for arts and culture and that is supported by the university and by the city, but hip hop is not so much supported. Um, so that year we decided to start the Madison hip hop awards. And after a really successful event, we then saw so many different things that we could do and formed this nonprofit in 2011. And so we do a lot of different kinds of things. Um, the Madison hip hop awards is still going on. Um, we do a summer concert series. So during a time when there was no venues, no night nightlife where hip hop could be represented on a stage, we started, we took it to the streets, which is where hip hop was born in originally. Anyway, we said, if we can't do hip hop on nightlife stages, then we'll do it wherever we can. And we have a summer concert series called, um, for the love of hip hop. That's been running for about five years now. We also do some professional development and education. So music industry topics and workshops and conferences. Uh, we just finished one this, uh, past weekend called level up. This was the fifth year of running level up where we bring in local regional and national music industry experts to educate artists that are that are here um we do a program in the schools called academic wrap-up where we bring in again local artists to coach students middle school and high school students on whatever lessons they're learning to write rhymes we take them to a recording studio and show them how all that kind of stuff works and um, at the end of the day they have a full song that they can listen to and usually a music video as well that is a really really fun program um so and then they're learning a whole lot of skills that I mean right people like me who are like in this you know media industry uh, have had to spend several years teaching ourselves you know trying to figure it out through mistakes but they're getting that direct interaction with experienced people and and they're going to be able to to use those skills for I mean yeah you could make music but you could also do like what I'm doing you could be on the radio absolutely you could be a journalist I mean there's so many different uh, aspects when you start learning those types of uh, uh, hard skills such as video editing and, and and sound editing as well right I'm so glad you said that because a lot of people when they hear hip hop they think rap music and as you know hip hop is a culture it's a way of life it encompasses a lot of different things um, these days rap music is is pop culture and so a lot of kids are are really drawn to it and that's what can help them stay engaged in their studies but it also can be a gateway to so many different career paths that they might not have thought them thought of themselves in that role like PR like video like um, finance management 
management um, for professional artists, that's something that you need. So there's a lot of different ways that, that it can go in this program just kind of gives the kind of touches the surface of a lot of these different pieces. And then the other thing that's so important is we bring in um, local artists who a lot of them, the students already know. So it might be someone's parent in the community. Um, and it gives the students someone that they can look up to someone that that looks more like we tried to bring in artists of color in particular because we know that in the Madison School District we have a very low number of teachers of color which does not match the demographics of the school district so we bring those artists of color in so the students can see someone that looks like them in those roles and connect with them and we have actually several students who have then gone on after the program to connect with artists and take these interests in another direction so it's, it's and, and really for UCAN, one of the main benefits is this is something that artists can add to their professional resume. So while they might have thought of being an artist means touring and making records, they now can see themselves in a teaching role. And so this is another way that they can advocate for their community and then they can use their art to enrich everyone. Such a beautiful thing. And um, I mean, we could we could talk, we could put an entire episode toward this. In fact, we have talked about other things within the community surrounding uh, hip-hop culture as well. Um, can I keep you behind the, the next break? We're, we're running a little bit behind schedule, but I want to uh, sneak in our next guest in, in our last break um, before we wrap up tonight's show. But um, feel free Sounds to stick great. around and, and, and jump in as you see fit. Um, you are listening to On Wisconsin. We're going to take a really short uh, PSA break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from S.J. Miller, who is a new Madisonian faculty member here at UW-Madison, when we come back. 